two of these early believers in the Lord were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven miles. That's just a walk in the park for David and Aaron. <laughs> but for them, that was when they were going home. And as they were going home, they were troubled because they had been believers and, and they had really thought, believed in their heart of hearts that Jesus was the Messiah. And they had come <clears throat> to Jerusalem with <clears throat> pardon me, all these great expectations, all these hopes, all these dreams, and the assurance in their heart that God was working in and through Jesus to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. And then he was killed, brutally, violently, publicly executed. And they, they saw all that. They were there. That had happened three days earlier. And then that very morning, some of the women came running back saying that the tomb was empty, Jesus was risen, and an angels had appeared, and they didn't believe it. Thanks, Noah. They didn't believe any of it. Uh, and so they were disturbed. And so they're walking along, and as they're walking along, talking over these things, because they just trying to come to terms with what had happened and what it meant for them now. If something that you hoped and believed in and dreamed all, these, all this time and all the expectations that you have is suddenly gone and you think it's gone forever, it takes some time to get to work through that. And they're trying to process that, trying to come to terms with those kinds of issues. And while they're discussing all of this and grieving and wondering with fear and doubt and all the other things, this stranger walks up and... Uh, says that their eyes were holding and they didn't recognize him. So they weren't expecting him. He's the last person they expected to meet. I don't know if his appearance was different. Whatever reason, they did not realize it was Jesus. And he just walks up and they start talking and walking. And um, Jesus says to them, what were you all talking about as you were walking along? He did that several times uh, when he was walking on the earth with them. Um, one time they'd gotten in a big argument about who was greatest in the kingdom, who's the most important, who's the most spiritual. And so when they got to where they were going, Jesus said, well, what were you guys talking about on the way? Oh, then they were embarrassed to talk to him about it. I've felt that way before. You ever felt that way before? Um, Lord speaks to you and says, well, what's that all about? And all of a sudden, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> well, so, but this is a little different. He's asking them questions, and, and they were so shocked that they stopped. They were walking along, and it says that they just stopped and looked at him and said, where have you been? Uh, this was a very public thing, the execution of Jesus. And um, it was a, a very, very public thing. Everybody knew about him and heard rumors or stories. And this was a public execution that the Romans did. So are you a stranger? Just got into town? What's going on here? And so they said, and so he says, well, what things? And they said about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. But now our leaders, church leaders, handed him over to the secular government. They sentenced him to death and they crucified him. 
We had hoped, they said, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And now our hopes are dead. Death of a vision. All the expectations gone. Now it's the third day. Some of our women went. They come back with this story. They didn't find his body. They had a vision of angels. The angels said he was alive. Um, but they didn't see Jesus. And as you read earlier in the Gospel of Luke, it says that when the women came and told the disciples, they didn't believe him because they thought it was foolishness. It's an impossibility. It can't happen, so how could you have seen it? So he said, some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it just like the women had told them. Imagine that. <laughs> they had told them the truth. But they found the tomb empty, but they didn't see him. And Jesus begins to speak to them here. How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he talks about Christ having to suffer and enter into his glory. And it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And as Philip was sharing with the, with the children a while ago, it's only when they stopped for the evening. He was going to pretend he was going to go on. He was, uh, told them he was going to go on. And they asked him to stay, and he stayed. And as he was breaking, blessing the food and, and breaking the bread, their eyes were open and they recognized him. So a couple of things we want to look at this morning. As he disappeared from their sight, they realized who he was. And as Philip was sharing, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? We, you know, we, don't, we think uh, oftentimes that if we just had the facts, if we had enough information, that would be the basis for building our lives and living, living the way that we do. But that's not true. Um, the facts are one thing, but it's how you interpret the facts and how you apply those facts to your life. Now, the people of Israel were people who knew the Scriptures. Uh, the ones who hated Jesus the most were the ones who knew the Scriptures the best. The scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these were the experts in the law, the biblical truth. Now you remember that during the, the wilderness temptation of Jesus, even the devil was quoting scripture to Jesus. And it's not about information, is it? It's not about having the facts. It's about what you do with that, how you interpret that and how you make the application in our lives. So they had the facts, they had the information but they didn't interpret it correctly. And as you read through the scriptures, you're going to find that the radical things that Jesus taught wasn't so much the, the new information that he was giving, but it was a radical application and the interpretation that he made that really blew people away. Because when he told them stories and things, these were things right out of the Old Testament. And when he got up to preach in the synagogues, they would hand him the, the scrolls, like at Nazareth, and he got up and he read Isaiah 61. And he read as far as he wanted, handed it back and sat down. Everybody turned to, to see what he was going to say. And he said, today, today, this is fulfilled. 
The fulfillment of this prophecy, 750 years old, has been fulfilled here today in your presence right now. And it says they were amazed. And repeatedly in the Gospels it says he was amazed, they were amazed because he taught as one having authorities, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. Their teachers would, would quote other rabbis and all of this sort of thing and make an application. And Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. This is the way that this thing applies to our lives. This is how we should live. This is what God is expecting of us today. And so he helped people interpret and apply the facts. Now the thing was that oftentimes, people with all the knowledge, they interpret things incorrectly. Uh, the Pharisees had. They had taken the gifts of God, the, the responsibility and the obligations that God had given to them as his chosen people, and they thought it's because he likes us better than anybody else. It's a, a calling of privilege. And it's not. It's a calling of responsibility and accountability. And so something that was intended to equip people for service, they took to equip to be something to judge and to be proud about. So this is what Jesus was doing with the, with the disciples. Now the thing was that even though Jesus was right there with him, they didn't recognize him because they, they were so tied in to the past. All the grief, all the sorrow, all their broken dreams and expectations were, were dashed, and they couldn't get over it. They could not move on in their life. And so here Jesus is, he's alive, walking right with them, and they're still living as if he's dead in the past and over and done with. And they're trying to come to terms with that. And all the time, he's right there with them. They didn't know what to expect in the future. There was a lot of fear there, a lot of doubts, many, many questions that were there that were eating away at them. And they didn't know what to do or what God expected them to do in the future. And so they were so consumed with this past experiences and so uncertain about the future that they missed his living presence right with them in the present. So I want to ask us today, when I ask you, when I ask myself, what is it that keeps us from recognizing the presence of Christ with us right now? He's here. He promised. Are we so tied to the past and we can't get beyond what's happened in the past? The guilt, the grief, the sorrow, Disappointment, maybe disappointment in ourself. That's why Jesus died. The uncertainty about the future, the fear, uh, the questions, the doubts. That's why he's here with them today. And so what is it that keeps us today as Christians, people who know the Lord, Christ-like ones, his children, part of his family, what is it that keeps us from recognizing the presence of Christ with, it, with us today that puts everything in perspective. When we realize that he's not only risen again, but he is right here with us, then the things of the past and the things of the future fall into perspective. We still don't understand everything. We still have a sense of loss for certain things and a sense of uncertainty about the future in certain areas. But it falls into perspective in that the Lord is present with us today. 
And the most important time in our life is now. The past is gone. You can't change that. The future is still in the future, and we're not sure. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. We don't even know if we're going to be alive tomorrow or not. None of us do. We don't know those things. Today, we know. You know, that's why, I think that's why God revealed his name to Moses in the way that he did. Remember what he called himself? Moses says, what do I call you? Uh, because they're going to ask me which God. And I, if I say, well, the God of our fathers, they're going to say, what's his name? If you know God and he's called you, what's his name? And God said, I'll tell you my name. My name is Yahweh. I am. That's present tense. It's not I was. It's not I'm going to be sometime. It's I am. And every day, the God who is, is right here with us. And we think about the past, we think about the future, but he's with us today. He can go with us today. Whatever we face, whatever our difficulties and circumstances, we're not alone. And so today is the most important day of our life. What we do today, to one degree or another, influences what happens tomorrow. And what we are today, sometimes is a result of what happened yesterday, but we can't change that. But we can change today. So what did Jesus do for these men? They were caught in the past, uncertain about the future, not even realizing his presence with them, um, thinking he needed to be taught by them. So they were explaining to Jesus who Jesus was, or who they thought he was. And what they discovered is what we discover if we, the longer we walk with God, and the, what we discover is this. Our concept of God is way too little. It's way too small. Our expectations, our hopes, our dreams, if God is not blown away by our dreams and our hopes and our expectations. Problem is, he's saying, hey, why are you going to settle with that little bit? I've got so much more for you. You need to expand your expectations. So how did he deal with them on this? Well, what he did was he focused on the scriptures. He went back to what they knew. But he interpreted it for them in a different way. And so the scriptures that he shared with them that day were scriptures that they had known all their life. These were Jews. They grew up with those scriptures. They knew those scriptures well. But they hadn't made the interpretation and they hadn't made the application today. And so in their grief and sorrow and loss and their disappointment, their frustration and their confusion, they didn't make the application of the living word of God today. That's where oftentimes as Christians we stumble. We don't make the application today to me. Now, here. And that's what he did for them. So in verse 27, he uh, says, Well, how foolish you are, slow of heart to believe, verse 25, all that the prophets have spoken. Well, you know what they said. Why don't we believe it? It's not your word. It's not my word. This is God's word. How slow we are to believe that Jesus really meant 
what he said. Well, I can believe that he, that's true for other people. I don't know about me. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know about you? That's why he came, for you and for me. And so that's why he's here, for us. And so he says, didn't Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he began to unfold, open up, uh, interpret and apply the scriptures for them. Scriptures that applied to who Jesus was because they had a faulty understanding of who he was. That's why they struggled over the reports of the resurrection because they didn't really understand who he was. So he acted as if we were going to further. They invited him to stay. And when he blessed the bread and broke it and began to give it to them, then they, this was something they knew. He had done this many times in their presence, and they recognized that. And their eyes were open. Were not our hearts burning within us while we talked on the road, and he opened the scriptures to us. So Jesus had opened the scriptures to them, and but I don't know. Let me ask you, what do you think? Before he broke the bread, I don't know that they still knew who he was. And I'm not sure that they really understood the burning in their hearts that they had or would even have remembered it if they hadn't had this experience. But when he broke the bread, then they remembered, and then the things that he was sharing with them came alive to them. And they remembered that their hearts were burning even as he spoke. But before he broke the bread there, I don't think it, it, it didn't connect up here. I think it was ministering to them in their hearts and in their spirits, but they didn't realize it until they fully understood who he was, who it was that was walking with them. Then when that took place, everything, everything that he had told them came alive to them. And that's why they had to tell somebody. When God does that, when you're reading the scriptures and the Lord makes that clear to you, you want to tell somebody. You want to share that with somebody. That's when the, the, the word of God, alive and active, burns in your heart and you want to share that with somebody. So they marched the seven miles back. And I don't think it took, I don't think it was, it was like nothing to them on the walk back. The walk there was a long, long walk. The walk back was very short, although the distance was the same. So he explained the scriptures, he opened the scriptures, then later on in verse 45, when they're all together, it says he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And what were the scriptures saying? Christ will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Who's going to do that? You. Me. That's why he's called us, partly. That hasn't changed. This account on the road to Emmaus is not ancient history. This is current events. This is stuff that happens every day. 
where people are living their life, they think they're on their own, they think they're, they're having to deal with their struggles in their life, not realizing that the Lord is with them. And if they give the opportunity, all of a sudden, recent history makes sense. What happened to them this morning, all of a sudden, has meaning and value and purpose. Because they realized that the Lord was with them all morning long, or all afternoon, or all evening, wherever they are. Later on in Acts chapter 8, got a man from Ethiopia, Ethiopian eunuch. He's, has a, he was a high government official in Ethiopia. And he was a man that had a hunger for God, and he had traveled all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem because of the, the reputation, the testimony that this was the city of God and that he could find out about God if he went there and talked with those people. They could tell him about God. And so he got there, and, and he was still confused. He still didn't understand. And, but he got a hold of a Old Testament scroll, and he's in his chariot on his way home, and he's reading the scroll. And it just so happened that God had his man there, uh, another man named Philip, was right there with him. And Philip was walking down the road, and this chariot comes by, and he sees this guy reading, and so he just asks him a question. Uh, must have been in downtown Jerusalem because he's going slow, got in a traffic jam, had too many chariots. So he's walking along here. He's able to keep up with the chariot as he's rolling by. And he says, hey, you, got, you, you realize what you're reading there? And he says, how can I unless somebody explains it to him? And oftentimes when we read Scripture, we're that way, aren't we? How can I understand it unless someone explains it, opens it up like Jesus did to those men on the road to Emmaus? And so Philip says, well, I know about that. I can tell you. So he invites him up. And what was he reading? He was reading Isaiah 53. God was leading the Ethiopian all that morning before the Ethiopian ever knew who he was. God was watching over him guiding him through the purchase of that scroll, um, through the route that he was taking and the time of day and who he would encounter on the day. That was a, an appointment scheduled by God for both the Ethiopian and for Philip. And he had brought these people together at the right time, in the right place, and the Ethiopian becomes a Christian because someone was there to open the scriptures to him. So where does that leave you and me? Well, that's the reason that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He's the one who explains the scripture to us. That's his job. In John chapter 14, verse 26, he's, he says, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to bring to remembrance the teachings of Jesus and help them understand what it means and how it applies, like Jesus did with those men on the road to Emmaus. He's saying, I'm here to help you understand this. I'm getting ready to go to heaven. When I get there, I'll send the Holy Spirit 
He will become your teacher. And he will do for you on a daily basis what I've done for you today on the road to Emmaus. Later on in John chapter 16, starting with verse 13, it says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me, that's Jesus, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Because He wants you to know. Because He wants you to know. Not in the fact of information, but in the fact of the interpretation and the application, and that's where the life comes in. That's where life is imparted. So that's why you have people that are atheists are people like the devil who can quote scripture. They have the information, but there's no, there's no application, there's no impartation of life. Because it's more than just facts, it's more than just information. It's who is it, and what is he saying, and what does that mean to me today? So he invites us, he includes us in this. And as we walk on the road to Emmaus, or the road to San Antonio, or Carrizo Springs, or any of the other cities around here, uh, Lakey or Canipa or any of the other places around, as we're going on the road there, the Lord's with us. And the Holy Spirit becomes our teacher. And as we're questioning and, and wondering or grieving or rejoicing or whatever we're doing, He's there to speak to us the words that give us life. He's there to give us burning hearts, if we will open our hearts to receive him. And when he does that, the breaking of the scriptures, the opening of the word of God to us, then life is imparted. And we, like these men on the road to Emmaus, become different people. And then our hearts begin to burn, and then great things happen in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, forgive us that oftentimes we're like these two men on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his companion. We're so caught up in our own disappointments, our own grief, our own sense of failure, our frustration, our own fears, doubts, confusion, disappointment, sometimes disappointment in ourselves, that we miss the living presence of a risen Lord. You promised us, Lord, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And like the men of Onimaeus Road, we're foolish and slow to believe that you meant what you said. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Draw us close to you. Open our eyes like you opened their eyes to see the living reality of your word effective in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.